Is that would you stand? Praise God. The Lord is good, isn't he? Brother Andy, would you just pray God's blessings upon our meeting tonight? Yes, God, we do love you. Yeah, we worship you. We thank you. And Lord Jesus, we appreciate you and praise you, God. We love you, God. We need your leadership. We need your precious power and your precious spirit. We need your hand, oh God, to come move and rest upon us. You are so good to us and so wonderful and so kind and mighty and true. Praise God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. Good to see all of you here tonight. Praise God. <clears throat> the priorities of a good steward. Could you list those it's without looking in your notes? All right. Give me one, Sister Ruth. Number one, God. Number two, family. the family of God. Number three, the work of God. All right. Now we break those areas down in the scheduling of the time and also in consideration of our money uh, and the areas that we break those down. The breakdown is the things I must do, the things I should do and the things I could do. All right. So here we have it, okay? The priorities of a good steward. Oh, I don't know what's wrong with this thing up here. Well, it's not focused for one thing. All right. The priorities of a good steward. All right. God, that's his number one priority. Number two is the family of God, and the family of God consists of who? The man's immediate family plus all of his other brothers and sisters, his kindred, and that is the church, his immediate family and those who are in the church. If that door is locked out there, Brother Andy, why don't you just unlock it? And then, of course, the work of God. And the work of God is what? Could you explain that to me? Your ministry, that's right, your ministry. Whether it's on what you'd call a secular job or uh, a public job, a public office, it's your ministry. Uh, your work, where you work, you have a ministry there. That is the work of the Lord. Okay, now the breakdown is that when we begin to evaluate what we do for God, we evaluate it this way. The things I must do, the things I should do, and the things I could do. We certainly do not want to be guilty of doing the could-do things and leaving the must-do things undone. And this is just a matter of categorizing things so that you're not always spinning your wheels doing things that perhaps you should do or could do and leave the things that you must do undone it is a must in our communication with god that we pray all right it is also a must that we read our bible it is a must also that we worship god we should by all means in our consideration put that down as a must and don't be guilty of doing other things in the place of that there are other things naturally that we 
could do or should do for God, but there are things that we must do. That simply means this requires our utmost attention every day. Now, <clears throat> the family of God, we have our own immediate family, which holds top priority as far as the family of God. God wants you first to minister to your own family and then, of course, to the other uh, members of the body of Christ. The things that you must do, please, please do that every day. Now, there are certain things that you must do that you do on a weekly basis. We described this last week, such as have family night. Uh, I do not believe it's a must to have family night every night. But you have to spend some time with your family. Now, we also had three other key words in the organizing of one's life. You remember the key words, priorities, goals, and what else? Planning. Okay. Priorities. This is the establishment of the priorities. We set particular goals. We set goals to never let a day go by without praying. Or we have to put that into our planning. We set goals to spend time with our family. Sometime every day. And then a special time every week. Now this is a must. Well, if you set goals for that, you must put it into your planning because things just won't work out. There'll be somebody who'll call you and want you to go fishing or something. And fishing is a, quite an important thing in life, but it is not the important thing, is it? <clears throat> you understand what I'm saying? All right. And then, of course, the things I could do. And the could do, if you organize your life right, you will end up with sometimes to do things that what I call just waste time or goof off time. I think everybody needs that. Time when you just do whatever you want to do. You'll have some time for that. But you will not have time for it if you don't organize right. And if you're not organized right and you ever get around to the point where you could spend some time, you know, just goofing off, picnicking or whatever, just, you know, then you'll feel guilty about it. Isn't that right? Then you begin to get feel, you feel guilty about it. All right. We're just reviewing a little bit. The money tree. The money tree consists of three parts. Could somebody tell me the parts? Number one, the, the roots, and that represents what? Giving. Okay. Number two, the trunk, and that represents what? Receiving. Number three, the branches or leaves, that represents spending. Okay. The logic behind this, and some of you are not here, is in the money tree, and that's really kind of a poor tree that I drew there. I'm going to redo that thing. We got roots, which is giving, trunk receiving, leaves spending. The logic is that any tree must grow subsurface as it grows above. If it gets too heavy above without the roots it begins to die or the wind will blow it over so the logic of this is that the more root power you have the more leaves you have so the more giving power the more spending power you have praise God I had the opportunity to talk to someone 
just today, and I <clears throat> told this individual, individuals always having financial problems, always. But you know why you're having financial problems? You're not giving anything to God. You're not even paying your tithe. Now, you might as well just hang it up and lose all hope. Because if you think that God's going to bless you without giving, you're all wrong. He's not. So I'm here to tell you that I'm not a messenger of good tidings and great joy. <clears throat> your lifestyle is only going to bring confusion for yourself and hardship for your family. And everything that you touch is going to turn to mud. Not too, too, too uh, good, is it? <laughs> well, there is time when you just have to tell things as they are. Isn't that right? And don't beat around the bush about it. You know, there's some people that everything they do, they prosper in. Other people, things go wrong. Spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars only just to let it have it just go right down the drain. Stewardship is a matter of, matter of managing. And as I gave you a key phrase for managing money, and that's what we're talking about tonight. We talked about some time last week. Uh, the key phrase in management of money is, tell your money where to go, not try to figure out where it went. Because if you're always just getting out the checkbook trying to figure out where it all went, I can assure you, because you don't have a budget. If you do, you're not following it. <laughs> Isn't that right? And of course, we talk about tithing. Tithing is what? Is tithing really giving? No. Tithing is not giving. So when people say, well, I gave so much in the offering this week, that is above and beyond tithing. Tithing is not giving. Tithing is a commandment. Now, God will bless a man that pays his tithing, whether the man wants to pay it or not. Why? Because it's a commandment of God. Isn't that true? And God will bless you if you honor a commandment. Now, giving is a commandment, too, but there's nothing in the Scripture that tells you how much tithing comes from the word Hebrew word masherah, which means the tenth part in the Hebrew. It really means the first tenth. And it means the tenth part of your increase. We discussed that last week and had a good time in discussing of this. But uh, if you pay your tithing, God will bless you. But tithing is not giving. It's not giving at all. Because that part has already been designated as God's part. It's the untouchable of the Scripture. If you want to find out something about it, just read the Scripture where people took tithing and used it for other purposes. In the book of Nehemiah, it speaks of uh, a layman going in, setting up in the tithe chamber, and brought a curse upon the household of Israel as a result of it. We'll not have time to get into all of this, but thought I'd mention this to you. We brought to you some examples. Now, concerning giving, I think that giving is something that all of us would would really like to to be clued in on I say clued in on maybe I should say this is a part of our life that we we like to really look at because this is the area in which we can bring about 
the blessings of the Lord upon ourselves. One of the first things that we want to do when we come to God is we want to learn how to appropriate a blessing. Now, I'm not, I don't know why I had it in this notebook, but uh, I just got two uh, transparencies here that I, I had from way back in another Bible study. I don't know how they got in this, but uh, we're just going to show them to you. And this says learn how or how to appropriate a blessing. When you first come to God, that's one thing that you want to you want to do. You want to learn how to appropriate a blessing for yourself. See, some people don't know how to appropriate blessings because they're just too negative. They're thinking. They're, you know, just some people have what what I call. I get this right. Some people have what I call thinking, thinking, and uh, <clears throat> they just think negatively all the time. Just everything. You know, it's bad and it's going to get worse. The way they look at it. Learn how to appropriate a blessing. God, this is one thing you want to, you want to understand. God likes to give good gifts to men. Matthew 7 and 11, Matthew 21, 22, John 14, 13, John 15, 7. Now, all good gifts are from God. James 1, 17. Now, the reasons for not receiving good gifts. Now, look at this. All right? A failure to ask? Am I going too fast? All right. I didn't think that anybody could copy this down, I guess. All right. Let's go a little slower. God likes to give good gifts to men. Matthew 7, 11. Matthew 21, 22. John 14, 13. And John 15, 7. If there's anybody here that's not receiving good gifts from God, it is because that you are mismanaging God will not bestow his gifts upon people who are wasteful. I mean, why should he keep giving? Really, it's not yours to start with. Isn't that true? And he stops depositing into the accounts that bring him no glory or consideration. Some people are always dreaming for a million dollars. Let me ask you this. If God put a million dollars in your account tonight, what would you do with it? Most people would pay their tithing on it and give God a little bit. They'd end up buying themselves a new Cadillac and a lot of, lot of nice goodies. And consequently, Christians do not become, I wouldn't use the word wealthy, I don't want to use the word wealthy, and maybe I should say as rich in the blessings of the Lord as they could be because that they would end up, most of them would end up spending it all on themselves. You may say, well, I didn't think God blessed me according to my future and what I would do. That's true. He looks at the way you handle your money now. Okay. No, this right here, this right here had nothing to do with financial blessings. Uh, All right, we'll talk about that. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, okay? We'll be in that in just a second. Okay? All right, now here are the reasons for not receiving good gifts from God. 
failure to ask, James 4, 2, failure to believe when you ask, James 1, 3 through 7, asking amiss, James 4, 3, now this is asking evilly, remember now this was prepared not for a stewardship, you know, there's some people that ask things evilly, that is for selfish reasons, selfish gain, selfish glory, yeah. You want a nice new shiny car so that you'll be the honorable of the flock, see? All right? Dishonor, some people, reasons for not re receiving good gifts is because they uh, dishonor God, despising the gift, James 12, 3 through 11. In other words, God could give you something. Let's say that uh, you were in need of a car. <coughs> And your brother's in need of a car. God gives you a 1959 Ford, and he gives your, your brother a 1980 Cadillac Seville. You understand what I'm saying? That kind of makes you want to gripe about it. Isn't that true? See, sometimes we dishonor what God has done. We do not give him glory or credit because we see somebody getting something better than ours. Yeah, you walk in the house, uh, you got three kids, so you got three toys. This happened to me. Open the sack, you got a red one, a blue one, and a green one. And before you pass them out, the kids are all fighting. I want a red one. I want a blue one. I want a you know, just on you know, on and on and on, just. And then, then, then one of them ends up with a green one because two of them wanted a green one. And so he, uh, the one that's got the green one, ha-ha, I got the green one, I got the green one, I got the green one. <laughs> and the other said, I don't like blue, I don't like... They go pout over it, see. <coughs> and you know, the truth of the matter is, if you took them to the store and asked them to pick out their colors, they would have gone from, from one little shelf to the other for hours trying to figure out what color they wanted. Well, we do that, see, as grown-ups. We see somebody getting something a little bit better than ours so we don't like it. Okay, reasons for not receiving good gifts. Next time God says, okay, why should I give him something? He didn't even appreciate that. Okay, <clears throat> then, of course, the trial of our faith. I think there's sometimes that things are withheld just to find out if we will continue to have faith in God. This was true in the case of Job, isn't it? True? Of course, it wasn't long ago. You know, prove his loyalty to the Lord. And then, of course, unfaithfulness. Malachi 3, verse 7 to 14. Remember, God wants to give you something good. And the whole point of these stewardship classes is not to make the church rich, but to make you independent of the wealth of the world. I believe that God does want you to be debt-free. Now, if you're not debt-free, please don't feel guilty. I'm not debt-free. I am certainly working on it. I believe I will reach that point. There was a time when I didn't really believe God wanted me to. Otherwise, I'd be debt-free right now. I said, it didn't want me to. I didn't believe it really mattered. And a careful study of the Word of God led me to believe, hey, you know, I, I'm not where God wants me to be. There's no... There's just no use of kidding myself about it. All right. Now, 
one. I just want to throw in a few little things here as we go along. Everybody got this? Sister Grant and I are in the process of, of making a will. I think I've come to the conclusion all Christians ought to have a will because <clears throat> maybe you say, well, I don't have anything. Well, if you don't have any more than $50, I think you still ought to have a will. You should not let the government determine where it goes. And I feel, I'm, I'm feeling, after a careful study of the Scripture, and I'd like to include a lot of this in here, but I, naturally we'd be going for weeks. I do not believe that it is the will of God for me to leave behind what I have to my children. Now, that's my personal opinion. You may say, well, <clears throat> why not? Well, because everything I have belongs to God. And when I die, I'll return it back to him. Now, that's my... Solomon said that a man works all of his life and gains riches. He leaves this behind in the hands of a son. Now, Solomon said, now, the, the fallacy of that is, how does this man know if his son will be a wise man or a fool. In other words, if he lives right and practices good stewardship like you do, he'll end up with everything you have. By that I mean he'll end up back where you were anyway. Now that doesn't mean that when you make out a will you shouldn't give some consideration. You've got children that are, are young. Uh, naturally, if you were to pass away, you'd want to provide for them, make sure that they're provided for. So that becomes part of your responsibility and part of the responsibility of, of, of your stewardship. So that's not what I'm saying. Maybe we wouldn't have any reason to, to say this here, but I'm talking about, a, you know, sometimes men have four or $500,000 and they just leave it to their children to be spent on anything they want to at any time. They just take and blow that money. That's really bad. First place, and uh, I'm not saying this to discredit anyone, but most people really don't learn how to handle money or handle their life until they get some years behind them. Now that's sad. I wish, I thought I knew how, but I wish that somehow I could, some of the things that I let slip through my fingertips, I wish I had it to manage now. You, you understand what I'm saying? I think you can all say amen to that, can't you? You know, that you wish you could just do it all over, but you can't, see? So I think that Christians ought to have a will, and I think the prime consideration of that will should be the one who owns your possessions. Less than a balance, yes. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Now then, another thing that, that I, I'm, I've come to the conclusion in looking at Scripture, and I'm just throwing this in, this has nothing to do with giving, but it has something to do with stewardship. You should not co-sign notes for people, according to the Scripture. Okay? Proverbs 6, verse 1 through 5. Proverbs 11, 15. Proverbs 17, 18. Proverbs 20, 16. Proverbs 22, 26 through 29, and Proverbs 27, 13. 
all of these speaks of standing uh, and making sure of another man's debts. <coughs> Proverbs 6, 1 through 5. We we're going to read some of these, so that's why I went through them. Okay, Proverbs 6, 1 through 5. Now, the King James, I brought another verse of the Bible here. Actually, I wanted the Amplified, and I couldn't find, I couldn't find my Amplified Old Testament. So if you borrow it from me, please return it. I'm trying to be a good steward on my books. <laughs> no, I don't know what I did with it. Proverbs 6, <clears throat> okay. My son, if thou be a surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger... Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth, thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Now, where it says, My son, if thou be surety for thy friend. Now, surety, the Hebrew word are t from this, means if you stand good for someone's death. Okay? Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself when thou art come into thy hand of thy friend. Go humble thyself and make sure of thy friend. Give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. Now what that's saying is if you stand sure for some friend, he said, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be snared by the words of your mouth. In other words, that's unwise for you to do that. See, the bank, if when they say you must co-sign because this individual, really what they're saying is this individual is not competent. Now, why should you stand for, why, why should you stand good for somebody that's not competent? Well, it might be this person's not competent because maybe he's young and he's never built up credit. Now, I think the exception to this is if you have a son, okay, I feel to my children it's my responsibility to get them established. And I would co-sign for them with some very stiff terms. <laughs> okay? I co-sign <clears throat> co for my son John's red truck. But when we made out the title, it was made in my name, too. That simply means that any time you're abusing this, I've got as much right to that truck as you have. And I know how many days you've kept it, so that means that I'm also liable to keep it that many days. Remember that now. <clears throat> and you do nothing to that truck without my permission. Sounds kind of strange, but see, my son... Even though the law says he's an adult. He's not an adult. He's still a kid. Okay? Okay. Now, that's what the Scripture is saying here. Now, let's go to Proverbs eleven fifteen. Now, some of these might be a little bit difficult for you to understand. That's why I wanted the Amplified. Is this the Amplified? What's that? Oh, there's some of these that doesn't say strange. All right. <clears throat> Proverbs 11, 15. Is this the Amplified? All right. By the blessing... Oh, I'm in the wrong one, yeah. 
All right? <clears throat> now, this is the Amplified uh, 11.15. He who becomes surety for an outsider shall smart for it. Now, you know what that smart for it means. You know, you get cut and you say, hey, that's smart. That means you will hurt for this. Okay? But he who hates suretyship is secure. That means you're reserved from penalties. Okay? Let's let's go let's go on through it, okay? Here, okay. All right, Proverbs seventeen eighteen. <clears throat> and I'll give you my personal belief after we get through all this. A man void of good sense gives a pledge and becomes surety for another in the presence of his neighbor. Now, in the presence of his neighbor here, let's look at the, uh, look at the, at, in King James. Read it out of King James, would you? Proverbs 17, 18. In the presence of his friends. Here it says in the presence of his neighbor. Now, what this is saying here, a friend loves at all times and is born and is a brother uh, for adversity. A man void of good sense gives a pledge and becomes surety of another. Now, it doesn't say who here. In the presence of his, of his neighbor. That is really what it's saying. In the presence of witness, you stand up and say, Hey, I will be, I'll be good for this man's death. In other words, if you're, uh, let's say, your neighbor or your friend, as the King James says, is going to loan some money to your friend, whether you're all friends, okay, and you, you come, uh, or your friend goes to your other friend and says, hey, I, I need this money, not unless you, you're involved. So they come to you and say, look, will you stand good for his death? And, uh, well, sure, I'll stand good for him. Now, the Scripture says, uh, this man's void of understanding. Now, here it does not say stranger. It doesn't say brother. It just says for another. Now, my personal feeling, when it speaks of stranger, naturally, you, I don't think anybody would ever say, hey, I'll stand good for that man. A stranger means that his particular situation is unknown to you. You know, if somebody said, would you co-sign for me? And you say, well, if you'll bring in your full financial statement, let me know how much you're giving to the church, how much you, you know. Well, <laughs> I can't do that. Well, then I won't sign for you. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying this, because <clears throat> I don't think you should sign anyway, but that, you know, you'd never, you'd never ask that of an individual. And he'd probably never volunteer that information either. Let me know, in other words, let me know how many, what your monthly obligations are, how much money you're paying tithing, how much you Well, really, that's none of your business. But on the other hand, if you stand surety of it, what you're doing says, I'll stand good for his note, and you don't know. This man may not even be living in a, in a position in which God could even bless him. So as a result, who's going to suffer? You are. You're the one that's going to suffer. See? And that's what the Scripture is saying. This man, he's devoid of understanding. In other words, you don't really know what you're getting into. Because, you know, truthfully, do you know anything about my financial status? 
No. Do I know anything about yours? No. Well, then, it doesn't make sense that I'd stand good for debt. And I don't even know anything about you. You understand what I'm saying? And that's what the scriptures say. Okay. All right. Now we can go on. Where are we now? Okay. 2016. Proverbs 2016. The judge tells the creditor, take his garment, who is security for a stranger, and hold him in pledge when he is surety for foreigners. Now, you see what the scripture is saying. It talks about strangers and it's talking about foreigners. Somebody you don't know, then you say, I'm going to sign your note. Well, the judge says, you know, hey, take his coat and hold it as security. Now, you know, it's what it's, it's, it's kind of double jeopardy here. And, and the double jeopardy is that, that scripturally speaking, here's a man that, that can't get credit, so you're going to say, hey, I'll, I'll stand good for your credit. The scripture's already said the man to do that's void of understanding. So what the, what the, the judge is saying, you need double jeopardy. In other words, don't just take his name. Get some collateral from him, too. Because if he'd sign for somebody that's no good, and that's usually the reason why you have to sign. I'm saying that's usually. That's not the case every time. In other words, if you can't trust this guy, don't trust this one either. Take some collateral from him, too. Okay? Now, like I say, there are cases where uh, people have not established credit, young people such, that would pay their bills. And, but when a man gets to be my age, 40, 45, 50, and on that, I'm not 50. <laughs> Don't laugh, Terry. <laughs> I said 40, 45, 50. <laughs> uh, and he hasn't established credit by now. You know, don't put your name on the dotted line. Because did you know that everybody that co-signs notes, about 80 to 90% of the people end up paying the note? I, I know of a minister, a very close friend of mine, that co-signed two or three notes of people, and he ended up paying them all. And hurt him. It hurt him. But he said, I thought I was doing something good. Well, I told him, I said, now, scripturally speaking, I, I'm against that. And so I opened the Bible. Well, he was glad I did. He said, I want to do that again. All right, Proverbs 22, 26. <clears throat> Be not one of those who strike hand and pledge themselves. Now, that was a custom, the striking of the hand and pledging yourself. At that time, a man's word, at the time of the Bible was written, was good. If he said it. A verbal agreement in the presence of a, in the presence of a witness was as good as signing your name. So the strike in the hand and say, Brother, I'll pay, okay? And pledge themselves are of those who become surety for another's debts. Verse twenty seven, if you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? All right. <clears throat> now then Proverbs twenty seven, thirteen. 
like I say, I'm just throwing this in. This doesn't have anything to do with giving, but we're talking about managing your life, okay? The judge tells the creditor, take his garment who is surety for a stranger and hold him in pledge when he is security for strangers. That's what we just read, wasn't it? It's very similar then, okay? I think the uh, Amplified, I was reading that, is a little plainer on those matters. Now, do we have any questions about that? Okay, Brother Andy. Well, because I would say, and I, I recognize that when I read this, that uh, sometimes the verbs used uh, indicate the uh, uh, feminine gender here. And so that's why they would put it, if it indicates it, okay? I, I don't know the Hebrew that well, but this is what I've been told. Many times it is left out. Now, it, you, you remember I was talking to the church not long ago about the, the uh, ecumenical movement, the World Council of Churches, have agreed for a new uh, translation of the Bible in which they're going to remove masculine and singular, uh, masculine rather than feminine. Uh, and in many cases, they will put the feminine gender uh, because they said it's not plain in the Scripture when it was written in many cases where, uh, in the, because of the verb in the Hebrew where it was talking about masculine when it talked about God or uh, feminine. Of course, they did admit every place where it was clear, it always talked about God as a he. You know? And then, of course, when they got in the Greek, they said they had real problems there, especially with the Lord's Prayer, because the word Father is used there. And other places in the Scripture where it was used, and they did not know if they should substitute the word Mother or just one. Now, they are actually translating... The Bible right now, you probably, I've read two or three times since then, they're doing this. All right, any other questions now before we go on? All right, let's talk about <clears throat> giving to God. I think we did, we talked about tithing, but we'll talk about just basic giving to God. Now, I, uh, <clears throat> I read to you a scripture, or quoted you a scripture found in Second Corinthians 9, verse 7 that I feel is, is quite applicable in this particular case because I think it judges, I say judges, it determines the level of our giving. Second uh, Corinthians 9, verse 7. Well, let's read verse 6 because that has to do also with giving. But I, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. In other words, if you're, what he's saying is if you're going to plant a field and you go out there and you don't put enough seed in the ground, you're not going to get a good crop. And he's saying now, if you want a good crop, if you want to reap big, you sow big. Okay? And then he, he then he compares this to giving. Every man accordingly, or according rather, as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. Okay, the connotation is, if you want something back, 
and you expect something back. Now, I don't say that you give only to expect it back, but that's kind of like some of the other things in the Word of God. Like, you know, we go out on Saturday, we pass out candy to kids. We've had parents say, don't bribe my kid to come to church. No, we're not bribing your kid to come to church. We give candy to people we don't feel will ever come to church. Why don't you do it? Because I think it's the nature of God to give, and that nature should be reflected through his children. But now if you call that bribery, perhaps we're all bribed in a certain sense. Because the Bible tells us <clears throat> that if we reap, we will also sow. And of course, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So we know that when we live for God, He's got a heavenly home for us. So I don't think that's a matter of, uh, of bribing. I think it's just a matter of God cluing us in on all the facts. You live right here. I'm going to give you something nice for it. And so that's what he's saying. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not how? Grudgingly. In other words, you don't take the money out and offerings passed and everybody else is giving and, well, you're just going to be an oddball if you don't put something in. So I'm going to put something in and... Uh, so you dig through all the bills and you find a dollar and, uh, you know, and and you just, because everybody else gave a dollar, you think, I guess I'm going to have to give a dollar. So I hate to do it, but I guess if everybody else is going to do it, I need to do it too. And so when it's passed, you put it in. Now, see, he says, not grudgingly or of necessity. You know, you don't feel like you've got to do this. It's called giving because it's not something you have to do. Nobody's making you do it. Nobody's twisting your arm. Nobody's going to send you a, uh, a notice showing that you're delinquent in your giving. Now notice what it says. For God loveth a cheerful giver. And this determines how you should give. You should give cheerfully. Now, the, in the Greek, the word cheerful means hilarious. Now, to us, cheerful is you smile when you give. Hilarious, however, means <laughs> you know you just have a good laughing spell. In other words, <laughs> that's what it's denoting. God loveth a hilarious giver. Somebody can do it and. And just be just as happy as he possibly could be. In other words, nothing would make him happier than to do this. Now, I feel this way. Your tithing, the Bible says, is one-tenth of your gross income. The first tenth. And you want to make sure it's always the first tenth, not the last tenth. Because people that pay it at the last usually don't pay it. And the reason why that you pay your first tenth and you pay it first is because, do you remember last week I gave you this? Is because, you see... Your 90% has more purchasing power than the 100%. But if you spend the first tenth, and you spend the second tenth, and you spend the third tenth, and you spend the fourth tenth, and you spend the fifth tenth, and you spend the uh, sixth tenth, and the seventh tenth, and the eighth tenth, and the ninth tenth, and you got your last tenth left, and I'm going to give it to God. Well, you see, God promised that he would bless you 
He blesses what is left. If you tithing last, there's nothing left to be blessed. You understand what I'm saying? Now somebody asked the question, well, what if I get paid on Thursday and Sunday I pay my tithing and I got all these bills to pay? Well, naturally, this is where budgeting comes in. That means it's set aside that you have appropriated it. But you must be determined, I'm not going to spend this irregardless. Okay, now that is a commandment. You pay your tithing. It's a commandment that you give. How much? The Bible doesn't say. I believe that what determines that is how much you can give cheerfully. If you can give a dollar cheerfully, give it. If you can give two dollars cheerfully, three dollars, four dollars, five dollars, six dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars, thirty dollars, fifty dollars, whatever you can give cheerfully, as directed by God. Because stewardship is receiving direction from God. Naturally, some people could write out everything they have in their account, drop it in one offering, and go out of here and laugh about it. There's some people that way. That's not what we're talking about. As directed by the Lord. In other words, God may move upon you and say, I'd like for you to give $50 tonight. And you'd say, I don't know if I can do that. I just, I can't, I just don't know if I can do it. Well, now this may surprise you, but my instruction is don't give it. You may say disobey God. Well, see, you're not going to be blessed anyway if you can't cheerfully give it. And what denotes the level of your faith? See, giving is an operation of faith. What denotes the level of your giving is what you can do and do cheerfully. If you can give this dollar and be happy about it, but you can't give the hundred, give the dollar and keep your hundred. Because God will bless this. You see, what he's talking about is, like the farmer takes more seed and places it in the ground. Some farmers can't get that vision. They take and put a little bit in the ground, and naturally they don't get much back. And while everybody's eating big, they're over there having to count out the grains of corn. And he does it over and over. And, and, and Christians do this. The Christians do that. But you see, my, my idea is, give your dollar, let God bless it. And as you see, as your faith begins to grow, you can give more and more and more. And finally, you can answer the call of God and give anything. See, the cheerfulness is this way. You see, I got $100, so I, God said I need to give 100 so I'm going to give 100 But I can't afford it. My, my, what in the world am I going to do? I, I can just see my car on E. I can see the telephone bill cut off. I can see the babies crying. I can see the house cold. Oh, it just, it just, oh, it, it, it's, just, it's just bad. Well, you know that, well, that guy doesn't have faith, does he? Because you see, give and it shall be what? Give it unto you, Luke 6, 38. Given it shall be what? Given unto you. Now the man that gives a hundred, knowing he's going to get back four hundred dollars, is going to be hilarious about it. See? He's going to be happy about it. He's going to be he's going to be excited about it because he looked at giving not as a sacrifice but as an investment. And he treats it as an investment. And so he loves to do this. Brother Felix had his hand.
No. Now let me say this. You see, I believe, and now here's my personal opinion, I believe that there are times when you must exercise faith. I don't think there's hardly any faith involved in figuring out a budget. I think it's wise to do that, though. See? I think it's wise because that's really showing your administrative ability over what God's given you. And remember, stewardship is not managing what you don't have. It's managing what you have. However, I think there are times when you must exercise faith. God moves upon you above and beyond what's in your budget and says, now look, I want you tonight to give $50, let's say. Let's say $20, whatever God moves upon you to give. But that's not in my budget. But remember, he owns it anyway. You see, if, you, if, you're, a, if you're a loan officer of the bank, let's say, and you're in there and somebody walks in and, and here they have, uh, uh, they've applied for money uh, and you're not really for sure whether they ought to get it or not, if, if you take the application into the, the president and he looks at it and says, give it to him, well, it's not yours to argue about. Why? Because the president is higher up than you. And if it doesn't work out, whose fault is it? Is it yours? You see, so when God speaks to you and say, give this above and beyond what your budget calls for, I think you ought to go ahead and give it. At that, why? Because he told you to. It's going to work out for you. Naturally, you can, when you set a budget, you budget only on real conditions and exercise faith in areas that are not real conditions. Now, for an example, what I'm saying is, and we're getting a little bit ahead, Brother Felix has some questions ahead here, but this will be fine. All right, let me ask you this. Now, here you give, okay? You give. Here you receive. Now, how do you receive? How do you receive money? <coughs> uh, working on your job, isn't that true? But, you know, the Christian receives more in non-labor money than he does in working on his job. If you're paying your tithing and giving. You see, God's not limited only to your income. As Brother Felix asked the question before, and we were going to deal with it a little bit later on. But, but there are many, many, many things that God can do above and beyond the normal. And sometimes in very indirect ways if you're not sensitive to what God's doing. I gave this an example after service last week. The white Oldsmobile that I drove tonight, I changed the, the tires on it at 83,000 miles. Now, 83,000 miles on a set of tires, I suppose maybe some people get it, but that's, I never had. I've had radios to wear out in 33, 34,000 miles. And I figured if I got 40 or 41 or 42, I was doing great. But I got 83,000 miles on those tires. Now, a set of radios cost you what? The kind of tires that were on there came on there, and I think they're about 76, 77 dollars a piece, maybe 80. So you're figuring 320 dollars. Now, when I changed those tires, I felt like 
that I had actually gained instead of lost because I, those tires went twice as long. See? So, somewhere along the line, I picked up an extra set of tires. Isn't that true? Now, if every time you turn around, something's always wrong. I meant wrong. Every time you turn around, something's all You need to evaluate your stewardship. And if in the event, when you evaluate, you feel, I'm right on key, I'm doing what God wants me to do, don't worry about it. That's just a satanic attack. Just keep going. It's going to all work out for you. God will bless you and bless you in many, many ways. There are times when the Lord says, okay, go take this away from him. See if that shakes his faith. Didn't it happen to Job? Go take this away from him. See if that shakes his faith. But you see, everything that was taken away from Job was given back to him, plus some. So don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. Just keep giving, keep giving, keep giving. So you see, God has many, 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 many ways to bless. Now, God sometimes works in very strange and mysterious ways. Now, just uh, I just want to, to make mention of this. I, I'm getting way off my notes here and everything, but and we need to take a break. But uh, <clears throat> I made mention last week of, of a particular need that I felt I was on praying. And God told me, said, Now, this man has a need. Now, he was a personal friend of mine. I say personal. I know him. He's a minister, moved into our district, put a good job with Caterpillar, works not, uh, lives not too far from here. But as I was down praying, I got this tremendous burden for him. I began to pray. And so I said, now, Lord, uh, I want you to bless this brother. While I was praying, the Lord called to my attention that I need to do something. Now, notice we talked about giving to God, and then we talked about the family of God. Let's talk about giving the family of God just for a minute. All right. This brother is natural in the family of God. So I I wrote him out a check, and I'll tell you how much it was. I don't like to brag about things like this. You, So you take this only as information for the Bible study rather than something personal, okay? I wrote him out a $50 check, and I put it in the mail. Now, my son, Roy, uh, broke his glasses, and he needed $50. Now, I did not know he needed 50 and he wasn't going to ask me. But he didn't have it. He didn't have the 50 and of course, if he'd come and ask me, he said, Dad, I need $50, I would have probably given him 50 Well, if I'd have given him 50 I probably would not have had the 50 to send this other brother. But you see, the situation was, <clears throat> I sent the money. And I was telling someone about this, not telling them the amount, but telling them, helping them with their stewardship. This brother was down praying. He, in turn, for no reason at all, was told by the Lord to go give my son $50. said he needs $50. So he goes and gives my son $50, and he gets his glasses out. So the situation is, you see how that $50 was just kind of rotated around. So instead of it involving me and this other brother, 
what happened? I am blessed as a result of what I did. The brother that I gave to is blessed as a result of what I did. Plus, the brother that gave to Roy is blessed as a result of what he did, and Roy is blessed as a result of receiving. So instead of just me giving directly to my son, what I would have done if God had have impressed me, he went around like this, so four people become blessed with $50 instead of two. You understand what I'm saying? You see how God works right here. Now, I think it's very necessary. You want to take a break? Or you want me to go just a few more minutes? You want to take a break right now? Let's take a break, have I? Okay? I need a... a Brother Felix's question, uh, we were getting to the answer. I showed you how that that God worked in kind of a strange way and included more people than just two into that category to be blessed. Now, the situation that, you, that, that happens here is that, that when God says, okay, I want you to give this, you may say, but my budget doesn't call for this. I just can't do it. Well, go ahead if God tells you, go ahead and give it anyway. You may say, well, but if I do that, that means somebody's going to go unpaid. No, not if you have faith, because the Scripture has already said that you give it, you're going to get it back. I mean, it's going to be replenished. It's going to become right back into your budget. So you don't have to worry about it. It's going to be put back in there. In fact, it'll be put back in there not only that amount, plus some more. Okay, Brother Peter? Well, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. You see, in the area of giving, I believe that you need to exercise faith. Well, God says 50, and you say, I can't. $50? Where would I get 50? Well, I tell you, don't give it. Because if you end up giving it, you may say, well, I'm in disobedience to God. Well, yes and no. I don't believe that God just looks at it. See, God, the whole purpose is not to get money from you. That's not the purpose. See, but the whole purpose is that, that God can make you uh, financially independent, not depending upon people and, and creditors and this type of thing. And remember that God is working with you. Now, it, God does own it all. There's no question about it. So from this sense, you're in disobedient to him. But God is interested in you growing in faith. So I tell you, uh, give what you can give, the level of your faith that you can give and be happy and cheerful about it because that denotes that you're going to get it back. Plus, you'll get back more than just what you give. The scripture speaks of fourfold. It shall be returned to thee. So you may blow a hole in your budget, so to speak, momentarily, but whatever you give and you give it cheerfully, it's going to be put right back into your budget. So you don't have to worry about that. So it's not a matter of just scrapping everything because... The big boss stepped down. No, that's not it at all. It's just that he's saying, write this out of this account, and I know that you've got everything all set up, but we'll get it back to you, and when we get it back to you, because you've been faithful, we're going to put a little extra too. Okay? So this is the way. I do know of times that God has told me to give, and I, didn't, I just didn't, I can't do it. 
There's just I just can't do it. I, I just don't see how in the world I can. God says, give it. And, no, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I've gone, and now here's what I've, I've found out to do. You know, if God speaks to me, I go and pray. If I can't give it cheerfully, rather than put in a lesser amount, I'll go pray about it. And I kind of pray through to the point that my faith is up, and then I go give it. <laughs> Praise God. Now, really, because I think it is, I feel that it is very, very important. Now, concerning the family of God, uh, let's just talk about that for a minute. Let's turn to James, the second chapter. Now, if you notice what we do, we talk about giving to God, then we talk about the family of God, and then, of course, we'll talk about the work of God. James, the second chapter, verse 14, it says, What profit, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Now, notice we talk about faith and works, but notice how he connects this with our giving. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it have not worked, is dead being alone. That's kind of strange how we quote a lot of these scriptures and we never put it in this proper perspective or in the context. Now, this is what James is saying. Let's suppose that that I see Brother Jim and I see that he has need of something. Let's say he comes in here and he's got a pair of shoes on that have holes in them and feet are cold and, and this type of thing. Well, naturally, he's suffering as a result because, you know, the cold weather and, and this type of thing. I see him shivering. I just feel sorry for him. I know he's gotten laid off of his job and and things have not been going well. Well, I see him down. So I'll go up to him. Brother Jim, what, what's, what's bothering you? Well, Brother Grant, I'll tell you. The things are not going too good. I believe the devil's been attacking me or something. Oh, yeah. He said, you know, I lost my job. And, and uh, man, I, I don't know. I just things are not going too good. And, and I look at him and say, you need money, don't you? And he says, well, not really money. I just need a few things, you know. And so I look at him and I say, Bless your heart, Brother Jim. I tell you what, I'm going to pray for you. And so you pray for him. God supplies needs and, and help him and keep your hand upon him and bless his cupboard with food and his closet, you know, with uh, uh, clothes and, and this type of thing. And then I shake his hand and say, I'm behind you all the way. Let's bind our faith together and pray. And then I leave. Now, James says, what good did that do? He said, you didn't help him. You didn't even make him feel good. In other words, what profit is it? And that's where he says faith and works. Now, you saw him in need. God pointed you to the need. Why do you think God pointed you to that brother's need? so that you could exercise your faith. That's what he's saying. And for you to just pray with him and, and leave, he said, you haven't helped him one bit. And besides, you didn't help yourself because you didn't put words with your faith because faith 
without works is dead. So you say, I'm going to have faith for you. James says, no. You just think you are. Now, if you get another meaning out of that, <clears throat> I'd like to know how. And I think God does take certain people and point them to certain needs. I've had people come in and, and tell me, he said, uh, Brother Grant, there's somebody over here at church that uh, wants some money. Oh, yeah. They came right up and asked me, uh, you think you could help them? Oh, wait, they didn't ask me. They ask you. In other words, you pass a buck on to somebody else. You understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> so God has opened up an avenue. What's happened here? God has opened up an avenue in which you can be personally blessed because he pointed the need out to you. He let you see what this brother had need out. So he pointed it out to you. All right? <clears throat> Galatians 6, chapter verse 10 And, of course, we'll not be able to go into all the scriptures relative to giving. Uh, we want to touch on some high points, the ones that we feel that will be very profitable to you. As we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And so we have a level of giving to God and then, of course, to our brothers. And uh, I think to the household of faith, we have a greater obligation than we do to anybody else in the world. Okay? I know of a, I just know of a time here, and I, I'm going to make some reference, some personal references. And like I say, I give it only as a matter of information for this study and the building of your faith, and I don't say this to toot my own horn. Uh, I remember not long ago, I was done praying. The Lord spoke to me and told me that I need to go and, and help a brother. And I went and gave him a $40 check. That's, that's not much, you know. But uh, I gave him a $40 check. I got a call that week. A pastor said down, Brother Grant, I want you to come and preach for us. Well, I said, I'd be glad to. So I went and preached for him. He just simply got up and said, Now, uh, Brother Grant's really blessed us tonight. We'll take up an offering. So he took up an offering. He gave me all the money that they took up. Now I'm relating this because this happened just one day and the next day. Did like this. Uh, he put this handful of cash in my hand. Uh, I count it was $165. Well, huh. in other words, what I'm saying, you can see how, you know, this was not planned. It's just a, you know, just uh, why did he call me? Why did he want me to come preach? I don't know. I hope that when I preach that, that the church was blessed. Several people were healed. A couple of people received the Holy Ghost. But you see how it's just a matter of, yes, Lord, I'll do this. And God says, I'll, I'll bless you. I'll give it back to you. And, and so that he did. I, I remember one time, now we're talking about areas which we receive. I remember one time, and I, uh, my car, uh, this happened a couple of years ago, I think. In the wintertime, the transmission went out of it. I called the shop, and they told me, said, uh, 
it'll take $200 to fix this transmission. I didn't have the 200 So uh, Sister Grant and I got down by the bedside at night, as we usually do, and we held hands. And we said, now we need $200 to fix our car. Now, Lord, I don't know where it's coming from, but I need it. Now, <clears throat> and, and I just let it go like that because I do not believe in spending a lot of time praying about my money. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So we just simply made a request. Did you know that the next Sunday morning there was a sister who walked up with an envelope, had it put it in my hand, and said, You know, uh, I saw you weren't in your car today. And I asked, and somebody said, his, The transmission went out. And she said, I hope this will fix your transmission. Oh. I opened the envelope. And guess how much money was in there? $200. Exactly what the man had told me to get fixed and exactly what we had asked for. $200. Exactly. Praise God. So you can see how that God does honor you. And, and I believe there's any area that you need to spiritualize. It's the area that is is most tempting to individuals. The love of money is the root of all evil, the Scripture says. Now, I'd like you to turn with me to uh, Leviticus, the 19th chapter. And brothers, if we finish tonight, we're going to have to go. Leviticus 19. <clears throat> Verse 9 through 10. Now, the study that I'm giving you is a study that I've developed over a long period of time. I've taught this study in several churches raising funds. This very study I've taught in several churches. The last times that I taught it, where we, I taught it because we were raising an offering like for land. We, uh, we raised money here. We raised $38,000 here in a week and a half to purchase our land out there. Some of the miraculous reports that we got, you just couldn't believe. You know, people giving and how God blessed in return. And then, of course, I went to, to Brother Aaron's church in Milwaukee. I was up in Nina. I was in Wausau. I was over in, in Minnesota. Of course, I recently taught down in Texas. I've taught this study. I'm getting a lot of demand for this study. But I remember in fi five offerings that I took, five offerings in small crowds. I think our church was the largest. In fact, I know it was the largest crowd I talked to. We took offerings, and the offerings of the five groups have totaled over $100,000. you believe that? And you cannot believe the reports <clears throat> that pastors give back to me concerning the way God's blessed them, his people. Unbelievable. Of course, the first night whenever I teach it, I scare everybody to death, you know, when we teach about the principles through a chip. Because they get to thinking, hey, this is going to cost me, this is going to... No. It's not that way. I've had many reports. One report, a lady had her house up for sale. Felt impressed she should ask $10,000 more than what she was asking. 
It's been on the market for a while. Here I'm going to go in and say, I want $10,000 more. And if I get it, I'll give it all to God. You guessed it. She sold it. $10,000 more. So you can see how that it's just really a matter of exercising your faith. God wants to do good things for us. And we want to look at it in a very constructive way. Now Proverbs 19, verse 9, speaks of our ministry. It speaks of the outsider, people outside the household of faith. And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shall thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape in thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Now what God is saying, you know, when you go out and harvest naturally, the tenth part belongs to the Lord, the tithing. But he says, when you go out and harvest, now don't be just a big pig for yourself. There's a lot of hungry people around. He said, leave the corners. In other words, when you go out, don't, don't harvest. Don't reap in the corners. Round them off. Leave the grain standing. What falls down, don't pick it up. You understand what I mean? What is crushed in? Leave it. We have examples in the scripture. Boaz met his beautiful wife, Ruth, while she gleaned in the fields. That's a typical example. Ruth became Boaz's wife, the queen of Israel. Uh, also, she's in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was a Moabite. Now, <clears throat> what, the, what the Scripture is saying here is that, that there's a part of your life, I don't care how greedy you think or how greedy you are, I don't care what your need is, there's a part of your life that belongs to God, and there's a part of your life that belongs to a stranger, somebody you don't even know. Now, the first and the greatest commandment was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Okay? Now, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. The second, being likened to the first, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, of course, I have to turn the page. Maybe you don't have to turn the page, but... If you want to find out exactly what the Lord was talking about here when he deals with God's people and their relationship with earthly people, he's dealing with that commandment. Look what he says in verse 18. Thou shalt not avenge, neither bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord thy God. And so this law in Leviticus 19, verse 9 and 10 is connected, intricately connected with the second commandment, and that is that you love your neighbors yourself. Well, I know that right away you say, hey, man, if I start just giving money away to strangers... You know, and, and the biggest question is, the biggest question, people come up to me and say, well, Brother Grant, but how do I know? that Some of these, some of these people are real con artists, you know? <laughs> and, and so they say, uh, little Andy. <laughs> so, 
We got all this on tape. First time we got on tape. So what they say, well, you know what's going to happen? They say, I'm going to get ripped off. Now what do we do in order to keep from getting ripped off? I'm not really for sure. I believe that's between the ripper and the rippee. In other words, I didn't make the law. I don't control the law. I will show you, however, what the Word of God says. And that is an important thing. Isn't that right? So, let's look at the Bible. Proverbs 19. <clears throat> and this is something that, that thrilled my heart when I found it in the Scripture because I had great question. Proverbs 19, 17. It says, He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. And so what the Bible is saying, that if you see somebody that's poor and you give them money, what's going to happen? He said, that's like lending to God. It's like lending it to the Lord. And he will do what? He's going to repay you for that. Now, if you turn to Proverbs 22, verse 7, God has established a, a rule, a law in His Word. Proverbs 22, 7, it says, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, what you've done here, you've created a relationship with God. In other words, if if God tells you, if some poor person, somebody that's begging, asks you for money, and you give them money, he said, that's like lending it to the Lord. And the Scripture declares that the borrower is servant to the lender. Okay, now that simply means this one thing then. God, if you take and... If you take and loan money, I say loan money, if you take and give money to a stranger, it's like giving it to God. And God then has established a relationship between you. In other words, you happen to be the lender and he is the borrower. He puts himself in a subjective servant relationship to you. And he also established in his word that we should owe no man, anything. So that simply means that you put God in a state of jeopardy. He jeopardizes his entire relationship. I say re relationship is reputation. And binds himself to the word, making himself subject unto you. So when you give to someone that's poor... You are in a superior position to God. He must then come back and pay his own debts because he has established in the word that we should pay our debts. You see, that's what God is doing. He said, when you give to the poor, it's like lending to me. And you are establishing a borrower-lender relationship that makes God a servant to you. Now, his, his, his own law regulates this. 
So that simply means that God will do what? He will repay you. Isn't that true? He will repay you. There's no question about it. He'll give it right back to you. He'll give it right back to you. Now, <clears throat> there's something here that I feel that, that, that we need to take in consideration. Uh, I think this is so very, very valuable. At this point, please stop your machine and go to tape two.